eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia, where Met fans all around New York and all around the United States of America, we are proud freaking out we are pissed off we are angry i'm here to tell you take a deep breath now why am i telling you to take a deep breath i'm telling you to take a deep breath because i listened to 45 minutes of our wonderful team president david stearns i did and what i realized about listening to david stearns talk and we'll play some of the clips today on the rico is that he told us nothing nothing like, you can construe things out of what he said and make yourself angry. Obviously, you could do that. And it's easy to do that. It's easy to hear some of the things he said and say, oh, my God, the Met offseason's over. Oh, my God, they're going to do nothing else. I sit here with you in the middle of January knowing there are five weeks until spring training. And the one thing I've tried to do during this Met offseason is not overreact by what I think is going to happen, but just by simply reacting to what has happened. So as we sit here today, here's what I'll tell you. No matter what David Stern says or implies, the New York Mets need to add another bat. It's very, very simple. I think back in November, we may have said they needed to add two bats or they needed to add three bats. I'm a simple guy. Right now, when I look at this 40-man roster and I see who's on it, I see one gaping hole. You could argue there's multiple holes, but to me, it's one absolute gaping hole, and that is a legitimate bat that probably gets most of the time at designated hitter. Why do I say that? I say that because I know they have a first baseman in Pete Alonso. I know they have a second baseman in Jeff McNeil. I know they have a shortstop in Francisco Lindor. I am willing and okay and accepting that third base is going to be the youngins. It's going to be Brett Beatty. He deserves a chance to play, despite his crappy year last year. Because with young players, you do have to give them time. And I'm willing to get Brett Beatty another season. And even mixing it a little Mark Vientos. 
Don't give me Joey Wendell, but yes, he's on the roster. I know that you've got Starling Marte in right field as long as he can stay healthy. Harrison Bader, and we'll examine this a little bit later on, is he the everyday center fielder or is he just going to play there once in a while? We'll examine David Stern's answer coming up in a few minutes. But you have Harrison Bader, you have Brandon Nimmo, you have DJ Stewart, all in that outfield mix. You do not have a DH. And I think this has become very, very obvious for Met fans and certainly for myself that that's the bat you need to add. Now, ideally, a guy who can also play a position, that's why I've kind of warmed up or kind of leaned towards the idea of a Justin Turner. But you need a reliable bat. And getting that reliable bat on a one-year deal is completely consistent with what the Mets have done during this offseason. A game plan that, I know it bothers a lot of Mets fans, I'm on board with the game plan. I'm on board with short-term deals. I'm on board with not trading prospects. I'm on board with, hey, the Mets are trying to win in 2024, but they're also trying to keep themselves flexible and keep themselves ready to pounce in 2025. I've been on board with that for a while. If they don't add a bat, then you kind of went halfway. So I could sit here right now and scream and yell and say, they got to add a bat. They're not going to add a bat. I hate Steve Cohen. I'm mad at David Stearns. I'm going to sit back and remain confident that the Mets are going to finish the job. And finishing the job is nothing crazy. It's not. It's never been Cody Bellinger. It's never been some kind of crazy eight-year contract or some kind of mega deal for Matt Chapman. It's never been that for me. If you've listened to the Rico, you know where I'm coming from on this, and it, it doesn't mean everybody agrees with me, but I've always been add guys on short-term deals and keep yourself flexible and competing in 2024. And that message, I thought, was the message we got from Steve Cohen and from David Stearns. And so you can listen to a lot of what David said at this press conference. Really, it was a it was a Zoom call to introduce the acquisitions of Luis Severino and Harrison Bader. And you can get yourself angry and you can get yourself mad. I'm reassuring my fellow Met fan that there's five weeks to go. Now, we can agree this is not enough. I'll tell you right now, this is not enough. If this is the offseason... This was a very, 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 very disappointing offseason that didn't finish the job. You want to bring in Sean Manaya at $14 million a year? We went over him on the last Rico, the ups, the downs, the concerns, the positives. I get it. You're spending money to fill out this rotation. I don't love the fact that you're probably going into next year with four open rotation spots, maybe three if you get a young guy to step up. I would have gone after at least one guy on a long-term deal, specifically Jordan Montgomery, but the Mets have added guys to try to compete in 2024 on short-term deals. To not do that offensively outside of what they've already added, which is Harrison Bader, a fourth outfielder, Tyrone Taylor, a fourth outfielder, Zach Short, a backup middle infielder, Joey Wendell, a backup middle infielder, that's not enough. I'm sorry, it's just not enough. Now, let's examine some of the things David Stern said. I want to start off with, and I talked about this on Evan and Tiki, and Tiki offered a very different opinion, which I completely disagree with, on what David Stern said. But David Stern was asked a very direct question from Mike Puma, and that was, and this is an important question. This is something we've certainly discussed. When you go out and you sign Harrison Bader, is he your everyday center fielder? And does that mean Brandon Nemo is your everyday left fielder? It's a very important question because I've used that. Bob Ross, 
something, Ross, uh, art analogy that you don't really know what the painting, you don't know if the painting's good until you know what everything in the painting is or something like that. <laughs> Bottom line is Harrison Bader is a fine fourth outfielder. He's a marvelous defensive center fielder. If you ask him to play every day, that's not what he is. He's not an everyday player. So this was a very important question. And I'm going to warn everybody as you listen to this, try to keep up. David Stearns, a major game of word salad. It's like listening to Pat McAfee. There's a lot of words. I don't exactly know what he's saying. So we're all going to examine it together. Ladies and gentlemen, David Stearns. Is uh, Harrison Bader your everyday center fielder now? And if so, uh, is Brandon Nimmo your left fielder now? So I think Harrison's going to play a lot of center field. I, I think, you know, I'd term it, he's, he's going to play regularly in center field. Um, I think we're, we're fortunate. We've got, frankly, a number of outfielders who can um, who can play multiple positions, who can play center field. Um, in terms of, you know, is, is Brandon uh, going to be um, you know, exclusively a left fielder? I, I think we'll, we'll kind of tackle that one as we get into spring training. And we see uh, the, the true formulation of what our team looks like, what it looks like towards the end of camp. Um, and then we'll have a more definitive answer than that. I think, I think Brandon is of the mind that he wants to do whatever is best for the team. And if it means at times um, flipping back to center field, uh, he's open to it. Um, if it means playing more predominantly left field, uh, you know, he's open to that too. So we'll kind of see how, how the roster shakes out, um, whether there are opportunities for Brandon uh, to shift back over to to, to center um, or whether it makes sense for him to to pretty much stay in left. So that, that's kind of TBD, and we'll continue that discussion through spring training. Yeah, I think the last thing he said is, that's TBD. <clears throat> that whole answer was TBD because Harrison Bader is a center fielder. If Harrison Bader is playing in a game for the New York Mets, he's playing center field because he's damn good at it, right? He's the center fielder when he plays. That's not a question anyone needs. We already know that. I mean, he's, when you're one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball, you know, Jim Edmonds is not walking through that door. Juan Lagaris is not walking through that door. Andrew Jones is not walking through that door. So defensively, when he's out there, of course he's going to play center field. So at first you could take that answer as, oh, crap. He's saying he's the everyday center fielder. But then when you can't commit to Brandon Nimmo as your everyday left fielder, and then you throw in TBD, we'll see. That almost tells me that the story in the outfield is not finished. So I, I tried to examine this on the air. Tiki thought this means they're trading Brandon Nimmo. I do not think that's the case. <laughs> no, I give Tiki credit. He's very good at reading what GMs say, and he's usually right. I don't think he's right in this case. But Hoff, you just heard that whole answer. It was a very direct question, very simple question. Is Harrison Bader the everyday center fielder? Is Brandon Nimmo the everyday left fielder? What did you take out of that answer? I took that he doesn't know. <laughs> I took I took it as he is they are going to decide on the fly. They're going to evaluate and they're going to basically best suit this team on the go. Like it's not going to be one thing. It's it, to, if I if I have to really give a hard answer, it is when the goal is for Bader to play mostly center field when he's playing, he's a center fielder. Nimmo's going to mostly play left field or a lot of times, but he's going to be all over the place. I mean, he might get DH spots too. I mean, that's the one thing. We'll get into the DH stuff in a second. But but to me, there's no, no one is locked in 
anywhere, but that doesn't mean that they're not locked in either. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I just think, mean? yeah, I mean, I, I look at the Met roster right now, and I don't see that they're adding another outfielder. Like, if they added an outfielder, it'd probably be a guy who's going to DH a lot, so Jorge Soler may be that guy if they did add an outfielder because they already have Marte's here, and he's playing winter ball, and that's great, and hopefully he's healthy. Nimmo's here. Tyrone Taylor's here. Harrison Bader's here. And DJ Stewart, I think, is going to have a much bigger role on this team than maybe any of us wanted, unfortunately. So I don't think they're adding another outfielder. I don't know if that back and forth opened up. Maybe this is crazy what I'm about to say. But does it open up the possibility that a Drew Gilbert comes to spring training and plays so well that the Mets actually do something that Billy Epler was afraid to do and let a kid, and Gilbert's not even, I mean, he's young, but he's 23. He's not 19. He's not 20. Like, does that open up the possibility of Drew Gilbert being the center fielder? I don't know. I don't know. And maybe that's a part of the TBD. I think it's more likely that that's the TBD than it is adding an outfielder, because I don't think they're going to add an outfielder. And that's the one thing that's kind of calmed me in thinking about the Met outfield moving forward, is that take Drew Gilbert. And I want Drew Gilbert to be great because I, I've had the thought that a lot of us have had over the last few weeks and months with the struggles the Mets have had to fill out their rotation in that, man, maybe they were better off keeping Verlander. And that could turn out to be really stupid if Gilbert and Clifford, the pieces they got back, turn out to be great. Then we'll say, oh my God, I can't even believe we regretted that for a second. So one thing that's calm me about the outfield is, yeah, Bader, DJ Stewart, Tyrone Taylor, Brandon Nimmo, Starling Marte, the guys that are there, but the Mets have young outfielders. You know, assuming Jet Williams becomes an outfielder, which he may, Luis Angel Acuna becomes an outfielder, but we know Drew Gilbert is one. So I also wondered, was that Hing and Hoving have anything to do with opening things up for the kids in the outfield? I just didn't think it was a straightforward answer because the straightforward answer is Brandon Nimmo's the left fielder. Obviously, if Harrison Bader is an everyday player, which I don't think he is. I think he's a fourth outfielder, and he's a fine fourth outfielder. It's just when you ask him to do something he's not really good at doing, that's where you run into trouble. So if you add, and this is where this connects to DH, if you add a DH, and by adding a DH, and this is why J.D. Martinez is probably not my number one choice, a guy who's a DH but can play a position. J.D. Martinez has not played the outfield very much over the last three years. So J.D. Martinez, you sign him, he clogs DH. But if you sign Justin Turner or you sign Jorge Soler and he's playing the outfield, yeah, that guy's going to get a lot of his at-bats at DH, but it does open up that opportunity, as you were kind of alluding to, of, hey, there's a day where Francisco Lindor is DHing. Hey, there's a day where Brandon Nimmo is DHing. Hey, there's a day where, where this guy is DHing. So Soler, while he's predominantly a DH, especially if you look at what he did last year, played 100 games at DH, 30 games in right field, I, I, I like the idea of adding a reliable bat who can also play a position. And the reason why this all connects is if you added an everyday bat, DJ Stewart can become part of a platoon with Harrison Bader until Drew Gilbert is ready. And that doesn't sound as bad. Like when I frame it that way to my fellow Met fan who may not love this offseason, if I said to you, all right, they just added a, a DH, whoever it is, Justin Turner, Jorge Soler, name the guy. Reese Hoskins and stick him over there. There's your reliable bat. He's going to play. 
And Bader's platooning with DJ Stewart. DJ plays left, Nimmo in center. Bader in center, Nimmo in left. But don't worry. That's until Drew Gilbert, who played really well at double-A, who's going to start the year at triple-A, until he proves he's ready, which, who knows, maybe with David Stearns, that's quicker than Billy Epler. Maybe that means we see him in May. Doesn't that feel a little bit better? Doesn't that make you look at the Met bats and say, okay, yeah, it doesn't bother me as much. Well, that also that's kind of also why the offseason with them not going to get a quote-unquote big bat that's a long-term contract doesn't really bother me because I think that's the game plan no matter what. Whether it's May, June, July, August, September, or next year, Drew Gilbert's going to find his way or one of those other three outfielders are going to find their way into the lineup in the near future. And that's why I'm not asking for a long-term deal. Like, and we're about to play another clip from David Stearns, which sort of was patronizing and, and was obnoxious. And it, it, cause it almost makes it seem, and I know all of us Met fans don't have one voice. We all have various opinions. You may disagree with me on a lot of things, agree on a lot of things. We'll get to the email. You'll hear a lot of different opinions, but I never got the sense that Met fans in general were screaming and yelling for every elite player during this off season. Like, yeah, we wanted to go after the tippy-top guys, but take after Yamamoto and Otani, who clearly the Mets had interest in too. Take all the other, you know, bigger-time bats that are out there. Did we ever really hear Met fans begging for Cody Bellinger? Did we? Not really. No, we've been actually been saying no to Bellinger. We've been saying no, no to Blake Snell. We've been saying right. no to a lot of these overpriced guys have like no interest. I think most Met fans, and again, it's not everybody, but most Met fans have been pretty restrained in what we, when what we've asked for in free agency. It was, yeah, go after the bigger guys, and if you don't get them, fill out the roster on one-year deals. Because one-year deals, there's no risk. And the beauty of the one-year deal is you're not blocking anybody long-term. You're, you're biding time. You're biding time for the young players that you're developing. So... This is a little bit of a longer answer. And tell me, Med fans, if you were a little offended by this, even though I remind you, start. Uh, eh, just ignore everything David Stern says because <laughs> you want to listen to it, but you also know he's also not telling us a lot. But this is David Stern's talking about us as Met fans and our demanding of the big ticket free agent items. Start. Uh, look, I, I love that our fan base wants us to sign everyone out there right that that's great um one that i, I think that means that what this organization has done over the last couple of years has raised the bar um and has set high expectations and, and that's a great thing we want high expectations um we want our fans passionately engaged um and, and we want them really to demand excellence and and that's what we're striving um to succeed in. and excellence um requires uh, i i think thoughtful, strategic, um, and hopefully wise acquisitions throughout. It, it certainly includes the big ticket, um, you know, premium free agents, um, when those are the right opportunities. Um, and it also ensures that you have really talented players throughout the entirety of your roster. Um, we, we can't win with one, two, three, four, five, uh, exceptional players really over the course of the year, you need somewhere between 50 and 60, um, players all contributing to uh, a really successful season. So that Whoops. Um, we're, we're out to do. Uh, that's what we're out to accomplish. But in terms of, of, of the fan interest, the passion, 
the desire for us to improve, um, those are all positives for me. Um, and, and ultimately, I think it, it makes us all do our jobs better. Um, and that, that same intensity that Harrison and, and Seve were talking about, um, that, that fuels them, uh, it fuels us in the front office as well. Um, so I, I think it's a good thing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, it was a little condescending. I'm going to be honest with you. It was a little condescending. We are not demanding every big free agent item. I think what the Met fan wants is for you to fill out this roster in a way that makes you competitive in 2024 without hindering 2025 and beyond. So one thing David Stearns has said is they don't want to block young players. And you know what? I agree with him. I think when we've talked about adding bats, we always kept in mind, hey, we got to make sure Brett Beatty has an opportunity. We have to make sure Ronnie Mauricio prior to his injury has an opportunity. So I'm with you on that. I'm with David Stearns on the idea that you don't want to block young players from playing by bringing in guys on one-year deals. But right now, the Mets aren't blocking anybody. And DJ Stewart is not a young player. I just want to make that very clear. DJ Stewart played very well last year down the stretch, and I was certainly enamored by him and said late in the year, this guy deserves some kind of opportunity in 2024. Now, I didn't say every day DH, and I still don't stand by that, but certainly a major league roster spot. DJ Stewart's 30. He's 30. He's not 25 years old. So I don't count him as a young guy that deserves the opportunity to play. I look at him as a guy that played well last year and deserves some opportunity to play, but he's not a young guy that would be blocked. So right now, think about what's on this 40-man roster. Think about who is penciled in on opening day. Brett Beatty has a clear opportunity to play, and so does Mark Vientos. And Mark Vientos doesn't need DH open for him because third base is a part of it. Brett Beatty's going to be your everyday third baseman, but does he play against every single left-handed starter? Probably not. So Mark Vientos can get plenty of at-bats at third base. Mark Vientos can get at-bats at DH. But I don't think you need to keep DH open for a Vientos platoon with DJ Stewart. I mean, are we being serious? Like that adding a bat doesn't block anybody. If you added multiple bats... Could it block young players? Yes. That's why I've even admitted it's only one more bat. If we had this conversation back in November, maybe we were more aggressive saying there needs to be two or three bats. But I get the idea of not blocking young players. But right now, young players are not being blocked. And adding a designated hitter would not block anybody because DJ Stewart is not a young player. Mark Vientos, does he deserve some kind of opportunity? Yes. Yeah. And he'll get one. Between the injuries that are going to occur during this season and between the idea that Vientos needs to learn some position flexibility, he can't just be a DH and third baseman. I'd love for him to learn how to play the outfield. The Mets have so many good young defensive outfielders, not young defensive outfielders, but good defensive outfielders like Tyrone Taylor and Harrison Bader, that if Vientos can hit, 
you could find his way into the lineup, and even if it means coming out of a game late inning for defense. They can afford, and I'm not talking about finances because we know Steve Cohn can afford everything. They can afford to add a bat without it blocking anybody. So I find that to be BS. And look, David Stearns is new around here. I know he's a New Yorker, which is part of the appeal. That's a condescending answer to all of us. Like, oh, isn't it cute that all those Met fans want every item? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was not the offseason where we were expecting a shopping spree. He wanted you to go after the big level guys. You did, at least in the case of Yamamoto. The Otani thing, we're still not positive. But we are not begging for every big ticket item. We're begging for you to try to compete in 2024 without hindering the future. And what would be very odd, and again, I'm not worried about it because I think the Mets are not dumb. What would be very odd about not adding a DH is that this offseason would feel like a half measure. They didn't punt the season because why are you spending $14 million on Sean Manaya if you're punting? You may as well just call up young kids and pitch if you're quote-unquote punting. You know, you drop $30 million between two starting pitchers and Luis Severino and Sean Manaya. That's great. But then you've got to fill out the rest of your roster. That's why the report that came out from Andy Martino saying they only have $10 million left to spend. That's a report that no Met fan wants to hear because a Steve Cohen, who raised ticket prices has a hell of a lot more than $10 million to spend. Okay. He's a billionaire and I get the Mets have a high payroll, but that's paying for the mistakes of last year. You don't make season ticket holders and Met fans pay for the mistakes of last year. You pay for the mistakes of last year. That's what you do. Not us. You don't make Met fans do that. Otherwise, I mean, nobody at City Field this year. So I remain, I don't even know if I'd use the word confident. Maybe I'd take that one out. I remain, I guess, patient that the Mets will do the right thing and add a DH and a reliable bullpen arm. They have been connected to Wandy Peralta, who is a guy we talked about early during the offseason as a great fit from the left side. The problem is, it's not really a problem. It's more funny. It will feed in to the all the Mets do is collect former Yankees narrative. But Wandy Peralta is one of the better left-handed relievers in baseball, and he's incredibly reliable. And to pair him with Brooks Raley, even though I don't look at Raley as a loogie, a lefty specialist, if you will, which is tough to have these days with the three-batter minimum, I like his addition to the bullpen. But really, they need one more reliable arm in that pen. And I think, I don't know how often you feel this way, if you add a reliable arm in the bullpen and a legitimate DH, I'm good with saying, okay, that's an offseason. It won't go down as the sexiest offseason of all time. And yes, the Mets will go into opening day needing a lot of things to break right to be good. But I would at least feel like, okay, that was almost like a somewhat acceptable offseason. But that's with those two additions, a reliable bullpen arm and one more real bat, preferably to protect Pete in the lineup. Yeah, I think that at the very least you have to do that. Again, like that $10 million mark, I think it was to not scare teams, but to be like a a decoy as we're not going to sit there and just don't come to us looking for like a huge contract or a huge deal. We're not going to do that. But I do believe that they're going to still get two more pieces. I personally speaking, I get the whole Wandy Peralta. They can play in New York. I don't care about the Yankee thing, like whatever to me. I would trade for Jim Carl Stanton tomorrow if that made, you know, if if that was needed because I think that he's a better DH than what we currently have on the roster. 
But I do think that Matt Moore is someone that I feel is a what he's done the past couple of years. He's been a dominant lefty. By the way, you know what's so interesting, as you mentioned, Matt Moore, a guy we talked about at the beginning of this offseason, and Wandy Peralta and David Robertson we haven't heard much about. There still is so many free agents. So many. And I, I think that's also the other reason why I remain very calm about this offseason. David Stearns did a lot of TBD in his responses. And the reason why TBDs are good is that you never know what comes down market-wise over the next few weeks and months. You know, and I, I'm not saying this is the example of it because I think Cody Bellinger is going to get a math, massive contract. But you got a guy like Cody Bellinger is a free agent, and it's the middle of January, and I don't know what his market is. Will we get to the point in early February where there are guys whose markets just never developed and they end up settling on one-year contracts? I don't think he's the example of it, but I think there are others, and that's where things can change. And I'll tell you the other thing where things can change, and this is a real kind of rumor that's been out there over the last few days and weeks, and this is where any answer David Stearns gives about the Met lineup can change in a major way, and that's Jesus Lazardo. Jesus Lazardo obviously is a guy who his name has been bantied about lately as a possible trade target, not just the Mets, but a lot of teams. I mean, Jesus Lazardo is a young, controllable lefty. He's 26 years old, and he goes out and he makes his starts. I mean, last year he made 32 starts. He had a three and a half ERA. He's 26 years old. That is a valuable piece. That's a guy who the Yankees would love to get, the Mets would love to get, the Braves would love to. I mean, everybody would love to get him. And while I'm not big on trading prospects, I have been big on, hey, if you can get somebody who's under control and is a part of the plan for the next three years, that's a different story. If the Marlins still love Brett Beatty, because they did last year, and there's some kind of package that works around those two figures being the main pieces of it, Lazardo and Brett Beatty, I think we as Met fans would say, whoa, I got to listen to that one. I got to listen to that one. Yeah, Beatty may turn out to be a star, but Jesus Lazardo has certainly turned his career around. I mean, he was shaky early on when he was a prospect with Oakland and Miami, but over the last two years, Jesus Lazardo's putting it all together. And if that kind of deal came together, where the Marlins are in love with Beatty and the Mets are in love with Lazardo, and I think there's more pieces involved than those, just those two guys. And a deal went down, well, A, as Met fans, whoa, they just added a major piece to their rotation. And I think we'd feel very good about this rotation if they added Lazardo, along with the depth pieces that they already have. But then that opens up a massive hole at third base. And the Mets could look at Ronnie Mauricio and say, well, that's our future. Just wait a year. Or I don't think Jet Williams ever becomes a third baseman because of his height. Uh, maybe Lou Sanjo Lacuna does. I'm not sure. I don't know where those guys are going to project to be defensively. But let's just say Mauricio, because based on his size, uh, there's a feel like that could ultimately be his position. Well, he's not going to play this year. And if the Mets made a deal like that, then, yeah, they do have to go out and add a third baseman for a year. But that would change things. It would change things because all of a sudden a deal became available that changes who you're going to give the majority of at-bats to at third base, but also changes your rotation. Same to a degree with Dylan Cease. Now, I don't think the Mets are going to get either guy. I'm not sure what the package for Cease would have to look like. Uh, in, in Cease's case, it's probably more prospect-heavy than the Marlins' interest in Brett Beatty, who's not a prospect anymore. He's just a major leaguer who needs to prove he's good, basically. 
But that's where I think these TBDs really come into place. If trades like that come together, it obviously has to change your view and change who you target. So I think there's more to come because there needs to be more to come. Look, David Stearns has done some good things. I don't like to sit here and mock adding guys to the back of your 40-man roster. Those guys are valuable. Like, there's a damn good chance that, and, you know, I'll pick this guy in particular because everyone makes fun of his name, Andre Scrub. I'll pick him as an example because his name is Scrub. Like, there's a chance he comes up and he's a key reliever for this team. Like, we know that about bullpen arms. We do. We know that besides adding the one reliable arm that they need out of the bullpen, there are going to be guys. Maybe it's Michael Tonkin. He doesn't have as appealing of a name. Maybe it's Johan Ramirez. I don't know. There's going to be guys that he added that we mocked. I didn't mock, but others mocked that are going to come up and play a big role. So I don't begrudge David Stearns for making the moves on the margins. You have to make the moves on the margins. But there is still meat left in this offseason. And I am not willing to accept that it's over just because of some weird comments David Stearns makes or some weird report that Andy Martino has. Can I ask you a question? And it's confused me now because, I mean, the one thing that, that you're talking about here is this, this, again, the report is $10 million is left to spend, which makes it like, well, there's basically one more player left to get. Right. And we could debate whether it's in a bullpen arm or DH. How the hell is it possible that the D- – the one thing that people have been clamoring for forever was the DH needs to come to the NL. And once that happens, the Mets have clear-cut DHs. This is going to be great for them. And yet that's the one thing every year we don't have is a DH. How is that possible? You're bringing up a sore spot with me. You're bringing up a sore spot with me because I'll never forget when they finally, in this league, finally succumbed to the designated hitter. It is something I hated. I can't say I hate it anymore. I've just accepted it. And sometimes in life you have to accept things, even if you hate it. And one of the arguments that people would make to me, Beningo used to make it to me was this will benefit the Mets. And my response to him and my response to that question is in that given year. Yes, maybe. Okay. In the year in which Yoannis Cespedes is on your roster, yes, maybe the DH would benefit the Mets. But that's not how it works. Like, baseball is cyclical, right? So, to answer your question, why has it not helped the Mets over the last three years? I don't know, because they relied on Daniel Vogelback, because they relied on Dominic Smith, because they relied on J.D. Davis. I mean, they made bad decisions. I, I honestly think, And I know the Mets need to add a bat. And I've made that very, very clear on this pod. I think in a perfect world, and this season is not a perfect world, so don't use 2024 as what I'm about to describe. But in a perfect world in 2026, when the Mets have developed so many great young players, I agree with David Stearns that the DH position should basically be a roving position of off days. Like, in an ideal world, that makes the most sense. An aging Francisco Lindor gets two days a week where he DHs. An aging Pete Alonzo, assuming they ever get it done with him, he gets a day or two at DH. Jeff McNeil, assuming he's still around. DH, right? Jet Williams, good young kid. He's dealing with a with an ankle issue. DH. Francisco Alvarez, real good example. Tearing the cover off the ball. DH. 
I do think that ultimately that's the best usage of the designated hitter spot. I don't like being stuck with one guy. Part of that is why I said J.D. Martinez is a nice fit, but he wouldn't be my number one choice the more I think about it because I like to have guys who can play a position. So I do think that ultimately that's the goal for the Mets and for any other team. Just upcoming this season, you need you just need production. You need a better bat in the lineup. Um, but to answer your question, I don't know. Because the Mets suck. What do you want me to tell you? Like, why have we screwed up the DH? I don't know. The Mets also had some of the best hitting pitchers in all of baseball. Noah Syndergaard, Jacob DeGrom. Like, they hit the Zach Wheeler. Dude, the Mets had a murderer's row of pitchers who could hit. And yet some Mets fans couldn't wait for the freaking DH. We deserve it. All you NL freaking uh, sellouts. All of you people who wanted the DH, you know what? Screw you. This is what you got, right? If you sold out to Big Bad American League and you sold out after the pandemic and said, oh, please give me the DH. I'm sick of the pitcher hitting. It's so boring. Well, guess what? You got what you effing deserved. How about that? All right? Congratulations. Congratulations. Let's get to some of these emails. A lot of angry people at thericob at gmail.com. Yeah, you're angry, bro. Jeez, calm I'm, down. I'm not, a, I, I'm not angry <laughs> about the DH. You brought it up. <laughs> you, brought, you brought up a sore spot, man. I've let it go. I've let it go. And then, you you know, you brought it up in a very sore area. Brian Stanton writes, $10 million. If the Mets don't sign a major league DH, no matter what they say, they are punting 2024. David Stearns needs a win here, and signing Manaya ain't it. Stearns better be careful because the Met fan is going to blame him solely if we have another 70-win season. Met fans are sick of plugging a Hail Mary in at DH. We need another legitimate bat. What's happening right now? Despite my last email, I do believe in Cohen's plan, but with the understanding that we would compete in the meantime. Don't just sit there and lie to me and tell me you're trying to compete when you clearly aren't. Slotting Vientos in at DH is not competing. Patching together a lot of long shots in the starting rotation is not competing. If we have to hope for multiple long shots to going our way, we know how that goes. Colin Calgill, 2.0. Last things Millage, 2.0, etc. When you spend, and you don't have to love Sean Manaya, that's fine. We went through him on the last Rico, if you missed it, the good, the bad, the possibilities. When you spend $14 million on Sean Manaya and $15 million on Luis Severino, so that means you just spent $30 bucks on two starting pitchers on one-year deals, essentially. You're not punting. You may not like the moves, but that's not punting. Now, I agree with you that they need to add a bat, and it would be very inconsistent with what they're doing because what they're doing is trying to compete in the short term by handing out these big money if you will short-term deals keeping the flexibility for the future and trying to win so that's why i've rejected the idea that they're punting i do agree brian if they don't add a bat it's not that it's punting it's that it's inconsistent with what they're trying to do and that's why I remain relatively confident that they will. Uh, I am. I'm not confident out of blind loyalty. I'm confident out of it doesn't make sense. Sometimes in sports, and I try to do this on the air, and it leads me the right way occasionally, not always, is use common sense. Common sense doesn't lead to the Mets not adding another bat. It's inconsistent with what they're doing with the offseason. 
Ron Shea writes, and he's referring to the David Stern's comments about center field that we played earlier. He was listening to me and Tiki do this on the radio. And he said, listen, I could be hearing this all wrong, but it sounds like Harrison Bader is everyday center fielder and Nimmo will play left field. Bader is a great defensive player, but having him as an everyday player is alarming. I agree. David Stearns gave a word salad answer, but it does sound like Bader's an everyday player, and that's not good. The problem is there's no one else for the Mets to sign in the short term. I don't like Bader being that everyday center fielder, but it's better than having a long-term contract to sign someone in a bad offseason. I really think small moves is the way to go this offseason. By the way, Right now, if you add a DH, DJ Stewart can become that guy. And I'm, I think I'm okay with that, platooning with Bader, where he's not the center fielder, but those are your two bats that are getting predominantly the playing time because I don't think Bader can hit right-handed pitching. And that's the problem you're going to run into. You're going to have almost an extra pitcher spot, extra pitcher spot, as if there is one, all pitcher spot. So you got me all confused now about the DH. <laughs> Uh, Ron is not done yet. He writes, I'm not overly optimistic, but there's a but here. This Mets team won a hundred games a year ago. If we quote, run it back in a bridge year to 2025, is that the worst thing in the world? Yes. Our pitching isn't as solid or solid at all, but we have a lot of upside. It's not solid at all. <laughs> Bottom line. We're not that far off from the roster going into last year. And we all thought we were going to win it all. Save this email. The Mets will have more wins in 24 than 23. P.S. The Mets are not trading Nimmo. Tiki is trolling on the air. I don't think he was actually trolling the more I think about it. I think he actually took David Stern's word out and said, boy, that doesn't make sense. Is he trading Brandon Nimmo? I don't think they're trading Brandon Nimmo. I do not. I'm not ready yet to give you a win prediction for 2024, but I can tell you this. It better be more than last year. I mean, they won 75 games last year. Like, even if they won 80 games, and 80 games is not enough to make the postseason. I don't think we're yet ready to have a sub-500 team make the Major League Baseball playoffs. But if they won 80 games, you're likely, depending on how you get there, at least in a pennant race, some semblance of a pennant race, some semblance of us watching meaningful games in the month of September. At the bare minimum, they better be that. And David Stearns, I heard David Stearns say this. He was being interviewed by John Heyman. And Heyman asked him, do you think you're a playoff team right now? And Stern said, yeah, I think we can compete for a playoff spot. So he didn't word salad that. He actually said that. (laughs) And I know that's not something a lot of us feel right now. And I don't feel that. And at DH, and I think, yeah, you could talk about them in that low to mid 80s kind of threshold. Because I think that lineup would just feel a little bit better. David Vale writes, bargain shoppers. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Why is it being reported the Mets are willing to spend only $10 million this year? As much as we didn't want a DH in the National League, we have one. Perhaps they can put a major league bat at DH. Looks like we'll be stuck watching bottom feeder fourth outfielders BRDH. If you're going to have bad starting pitching, at least make up for it with good offense and a decent bullpen. Sign David Robertson. Trade for Kenley Jansen, like you said on the last pod. Also, are you taking Jet to WrestleMania? I hope you're making the trip to the cesspool in Philly. It'll be worth it. I'm taking my 10-year-old son. If a poor man like me can drop almost $4,000 on tickets, I know an afternoon drive radio host can. Well, hold on a second. Let me answer uh, the Jet question about WrestleMania. He is so into wrestling. And one thing I was very surprised by, 
Uh, my he's not 10. My youngest, my oldest is seven. And his favorite wrestler was Cody Rhodes. Loves Cody Rhodes. Very upset last year when Cody didn't go over Roman for the title. But, and I am stunned by this. This is something Pete could sort of have an opinion on because you know the next wrestler I'm about to bring up. As much as he loves Cody and as much as he wants him to finish the story, enamored by The Rock, loves The Rock. And I asked him, I said the other day after that Rock, where should I sit? And he said the head of the table which Jet just repeats over and over again and starts playing The Rock's music on his tablet. I said to him, let me ask you something, Jet. You got a choice. Cody Rhodes versus Roman or The Rock versus Roman? And he's choosing The Rock. Now, you would think me as a 40-year-old would say that. I thought the 7-year-old would stay loyal to Cody Rhodes. Now, the reason I'm not sure about going to WrestleMania is not the price. It's more enjoying it. Like, I wonder in a football stadium, and I haven't been to a WrestleMania at a stadium. I haven't been to MetLife. I wasn't there for that. The last WrestleMania I went to was 11, which was a long time ago. I wonder as much as he likes it, if he and other kids would enjoy it because it's such a big stadium and the view. And I don't know. So I'm up in the air about that. Yeah, I, I'd love to add multiple arms to the bullpen. I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to spend $16 million on Kenley Jansen, acquire him from the Red Sox, and then throw another $9 million at David Robertson. But they need to add a bat. Like, that is their their need. So when David writes, if they're not going to do that, do this. No, no, do that. And there are plenty of guys available. That's, I, I think, the other reason why I'm less upset so far. Everybody who we're talking about is still there. Like, Reese Hoskins is still there. Justin Turner's still there. Like, Everybody's still out there. Emmanuel Neftali writes, punting on 2024. Oh, boy. This term really pisses me off. By the way, Emmanuel wrote some personal stuff about what he's going through, and I wish him all the best. I just want to make that very, very clear. Uh, I've been patiently waiting for the big move this offseason, but seeing the news that they only have $10 million left to spend, and it will be spent on bullpen help, shows that not even a medium-sized move is coming. I am perplexed by this. Steve Cohen said something at the trade deadline last year that stuck with me. He said, hope is not a strategy. I was impressed by this comment, and yet everything about this offseason is a direct contradiction of that last statement. The pitchers we added may be nothing more than a net zero win replacement for what we had last year, and that's a best-case scenario. Now we're hoping that Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty, and I guess DJ Stewart become what? It's all based on hope. So as much as I didn't want to believe it, we really are punting on this season. If we trade Pete Alonzo, man, I don't know what this team becomes. Given my new lease on life, this may be the end of my fandom. Well, hopefully it's not the end of your fandom because we've seen worse. I'll remind you of that. As bad as things are now, or they may be, we have seen worse. The Alonzo stuff. What I got out of Stearns because he was asked about it with uh, John Heyman on his podcast, is that he's going to be the first baseman. It doesn't feel like there's any confidence they're going to get a deal done. Stearns worded it as, when you get a year away from free agency, it's very tough to line up and make a deal. And I know that. That's why my beard continues to grow. I think the hope is, A, don't trade him, and B, when you get to the offseason, you, you make him the highest bid. 
I, I don't think we should forget how difficult it would be to replace him. It'd be very, very difficult to replace him. And I'm not just talking emotionally as a fan. I'm just talking about production-wise. Like, he's a very productive baseball player. I don't know where my confidence is on Stearns getting it done because I we got to learn more about David Stearns. This is his first offseason. Like, is he going next year in that offseason to make sure no one outbids him on Pete? I don't know. But I think for now, you just kind of put it at the back of your mind. He's on the team. He's the first baseman. He's their cleanup hitter. And hopefully there's no decision to make at the trade deadline because hopefully the Mets are good. Hopefully the Mets are in it. But I, I don't agree with punt. Because if you're punting a season, you're not spending $30 million this season on starting pitching. You're not doing that. If you're punting, you're saying, ah, we got young guys. Give Tyler McGill a shot. Ah, Jose Budo. Ah. Like that's punting. When you sign someone like Luis Severino, again, yes, there's a lot of risk with him. There's a lot of, we don't know what he's going to be with him. But you're not doing that to punt. You're doing that to try to get the big reward. One thing interesting that Luis Severino said is that he's had trouble sleeping. And that during the offseason, he uh, met with some sleep doctors and hopes that can make a big change on him for 2024. I'm not laughing because I do believe that's real. Uh, it was also funny that the first thing Luis Severino did was say thank you to David Stearns and the Yankee, I mean Met organization. That was a that was a great way to start things up. Uh, you're not well, using the word punt anymore, right, Pete? You used that once before and it pissed I, me I, off. I, I did, uh, but I here's the thing: is I don't like to say it, but I understand why people do, and I understand why people. I also said Will Ponds 2.0 a long time ago. People hated that. I understand why pe- – I don't use it anymore, but I understand why people still say that because your payroll, if I'm correct, is still over $300 million. It's – what is it? With, with, with yeah. everything included, it's still over $300 million. And yet it feels like they did no- nothing significant this year to really take a step forward. Yeah. So, so you're spending money – Poorly, you're you have Pete Alonso and you can't commit to him uh, because of whatever you know. They obviously it's too late right now for Stearns to walk in here and give him a, a huge contract. I get that, but so where's the rest of the money going? And we we know it. We we don't have to reiterate it. We know where the money is and where it's going. So that's a little annoying. And and I I don't blame fans who are just sitting there and getting fed up that this year feels like a a year that we're just taking a pass. It's a year that, and here's where this will have similarities to the past. It is going to be a year in which when you get the spring training and we all try to excite ourselves about opening day, there's a lot of ifs. It's a very iffy season. If this happens, if that happens, if this happens, if that happens. And one of our emailers said, hope is not a strategy. There's a lot of hope related to the Mets having success in 2024. And what I love about baseball, it is still my favorite sport, despite all its issues, is that to me, even more so than football, I used to think football was number one in this regard. Baseball's the sport where you can go into a season, no matter how crappy you think a roster is, and you can talk yourself into why you can win. And I used to think that about the NFL. I don't as much. Now, you still see teams that come out of nowhere. But I got to tell you, I think you see more of that in baseball than you do the NFL. The NFL does not have as much parity as Major League Baseball does, as weird as that statement is. But look it up. 
Look at some of the teams that go on runs. And so what I'm trying to tell you is as much as this offseason has been underwhelming, and even if they don't add the DH that they need to add, the bat that they need to add, we will all not convince ourselves we're going to win the World Series and not even convince ourselves we're going to make the playoffs, but at least convince ourselves that there's a reason to hope. And that's very similar to what we used to do in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, because we do the same things then. Like, ah, well, you know, if this happens, if Juan Ligaris can stay healthy, <laughs> if Angel Pagan puts it all together, and it sucks that we're going through a year like that. What I think can get us excited, because this got us excited last year, and we haven't started it yet, Pete. You haven't gotten pumped up about it yet is that the Mets have a lot of prospects on the call. And two years ago, it was, I can't wait to see Brett Beatty. And I can't wait to see Francisco Alvarez. And I can't wait to see Ronnie Mauricio. We spent so much time on the Rico screaming and yelling, what does it take for Billy Epler to call this guy up? Now, the good thing about David Stern is we don't know how quick he is on the trigger. But the Mets have a lot of young players that we can get re-excited about. And it may not happen in April. Certainly not telling you that. I think you're looking more realistically at the summer after guys hopefully tear it up at double A and triple A, but the Mets have a lot of young players that could excite us in 2024. But I said this on the air and I really, really believe this. Steve Cohen is not an idiot. Steve Cohen is a really good businessman. And Steve Cohen promised us that they were going to try to compete in 2024. He raised ticket prices pretty high on Met fans. I got a much higher bill this season. And I never assumed that that bill was based on the mistakes of last year, but based on, hey, I want to continue to spend and try to win, even if it's not long-term deals. I would expect that Steve Cohen's smart enough to not ignore some of the holes this team has and let $10 million be his budget. Like, I don't... By that, it doesn't mean I think the report's made up or it's bad reporting. I just, I don't know. Sometimes you get stuff and it's not true. And maybe I'm trying to be hopeful or maybe I'm just relying on Steve Cohen more than I should. I don't believe he lied to all of us when he sent that letter to season ticket holders. And so I think they'll finish the job this offseason. And that's just at a bat. I'm not asking that much. I'm not a superstar. Stay at a bat. At a bat. I'll certainly feel a lot better. Send in the emails to ricob at gmail.com. Remember, our rewatch, and that episode's coming out in a couple of weeks. we got a little bit more time. If you haven't watched it, our big Rico Brunia rewatch is one of the most painful losses in the history of the New York Mets. Game 7 of the 2006 NLCS. The game is on YouTube. I'll tweet it out over the next couple of days and weeks. But our big rewatch is coming up first week of February. Also, a big episode I'm looking forward to doing. We are going to examine, since the Mets have brought in so many former Yankees, we will examine the best Yankee Mets of all time. Some that you forgot, some that are really Yankees, some that are really Mets, some that you're like, holy crap, they're a little bit of both. So you got a big Yankee Met episode in honor of Luis Severino and Harrison Bader and Carlos Mendoza and maybe adding Wandy Peralta. So that's coming up real soon. And obviously all the breaking news and all the bitching that we have about what they haven't done. The Rico B at gmail.com, the Rico B at gmail.com. If you're listening to this podcast prior to two o'clock on Thursday, 
I would tell you that the show I do is going to be on 6.60 a.m. exclusively right at 2 o'clock. And we're going to honor that occasion with a very special Throwback Thursday that will feature some legendary guests and some legendary sound. So if you listen to that and the uh, Evan and Tiki program, no, a.m. 6.60 on Thursday. Otherwise, thank you for listening to Rico. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.